This is Corey Hepler for Comics, Entertainment, and Everything Nerdy. I'm here with Jared Gifford, and we are doing a podcast for Crazy Monkey Inc., the independent comic company that has been around for four oh, years. Four years now. How are you doing, Jared? Doing good. Good. Now, we are starting this to basically show people what comics are all about. And for this episode, I would like to delve into some characters of comics that might not be so well known to the mass public that we both enjoy that we could probably bring to light. Uh-huh. So what are some, what are some, not necessarily superheroes, but comics that you've enjoyed over the years that aren't necessarily mainstream like Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman? Uh, you, the uh, more of the indie type comics. Yeah. Um, well, back in the day, I mean, it's definitely become a phenomenon now. But back in the day, uh, you know, uh, back when a lot of people had never heard about this one, I, I did like like, ninja, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, but this was back when it was a black and white comic book when. The toys hadn't come out yet. The, um, the, the, the you know, uh, the cartoon show uh, wasn't even there yet. I, I actually read the first couple of book volumes. I was, I, you know, I was about, um, I was about five or six when I got introduced. I think actually no, about seven. I was about seven years old when I got first introduced. Cartoon show did come out about a few months after that, but but I first got introduced to Ninja Turtles through those original Ninja Turtles uh, book, book volumes that they had. Yeah, because they were the they were the thicker comic books. Uh, <laughs> because uh, the Ninja Turtle comic books is like uh, they weren't your standard twenty to twenty four pages. True. They were, um, uh, the Ninja Turtle uh, comic books they were like they were like forty eight to fifty pages long each each issue. And. Okay. Uh, but I can kind of understand why they did that because of the fact that they didn't, they weren't able to come out with their stuff monthly. They yeah, came they out didn't with, have the finances. Yeah, they have finances. The yeah, so like any other independent company, they had to come up with the finances themselves, and and then they basically would they come out with a book once every uh, once every three to four months. Yeah, and um, and so I can see why they made each book as large as it was because they wanted the fans to feel like. It was worth the wait. Okay. Um, that's one that I like back in the day. It's something that used to be an independent comic book, but, but, uh, but once again, we know how it exploded and what a big mainstream thing it is now. Exactly. <laughs> like a, um, another one, interestingly enough, not a lot of people know about uh, know about it, but uh, is um, uh, Usagi Ujimbo. That's a, that's another uh, independent comic book that I've actually been uh, very fond of. Um, it's it, it's like it takes old samurai stories, and it does it in a way that's kind of cool for all ages. Okay. Um, yeah, Usagi Ujimbo. Um, you know, his, his is like a take on on, on things like uh, um, uh, things like Ujimbo Sanjiro, like uh, you know, um, the, the things things like uh, like like those movies. Because you had the first movie, which is Jojimbo, and the second movie, which is Sanjiro, and and those were like old uh, Akira Kurosawa samurai films, and this actually started what most people know as sort of the anti-hero genre. A lot of people didn't know that, but uh, but yeah, uh, in fact, his character that they had in those movies um, 
is what directly inspired Clint Eastwood's character in the um, in, in in the Fistful of Dollars movie trilogy, or, oh, or what they call the Man with No Name movie trilogy. Yeah, holy crap! I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, it's it's pretty interesting. But anyway, Usagi Ujimbo is kind of based around characters like that. But um, Stan Sakai, he's the guy who created it. He does it in a way that's good for all ages. It's not just it's not just for adults. Like because because like I said, like Yojimbo and Sandro, they're good. But I don't know if kids would get it. Uh, not so much because of violence or anything. Okay. But but more so because of the fact that they probably wouldn't get the material and they'd probably just get bored. <laughs> um, with Usagi Ujimbo, it does it in a universal way that, that, that adults and kids can get. Kind of like what, what I do with Darum, and that's another reason why I like it, is it's one of those things that you, any age you can pick it up and enjoy it. Okay. And, and then those would probably be the, the biggest independent comic books I was influenced of in the early days. Uh, what about yourself? Me, um... I have a little different variety because I wasn't introduced to a whole lot of independent stuff until like way later. I was I was more into like DC, Marvel, and then when Dark Horse came around. Oh, that, that was my education as well. Yeah. So I, I'd like to say that earlier growing up, it was the big two. Yeah. You know, it, it was the main monsters of the industry. But but I'm, I'm sure there were some that fell through that weren't quite so mainstream. Because because uh, I would imagine because uh, you also have kind of a bit of a, a that that independent uh, kind of feel to a lot of your stuff as well. So I would assume that there were still some. So true. So so what about you? Is like was were there any definitive like independent series or characters uh, that you know? Like I said, same question to you. That uh, that that you ended up enjoying, but maybe felt like uh, when you were into them that they weren't quite like uh, getting the recognition that they deserved. Well, there there were two very very big ones for me that at the time you know they were popular, but that was it. Mm-hmm. And you know comics can only go so far with just popularity. There's exactly. got to be more behind it. Um, Voltron was one. Because Voltron, I really, really enjoyed, and when they started coming out with the, when they started coming out with the series for it, yeah. um, well, well, the 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 series was actually based on a uh, on a series of mangas, and actually wasn't Voltron. So I think I know what you're going at, um, because the original Japanese series of which they took it from was actually called Go Lion. That's right. Yeah, Go yeah. Lion. Yeah, and. Uh, and 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 they actually uh, even had some some manga stuff for that, um, and uh, and then what happened was they then they um, kind of did what they did typically in the eighties is they spliced it up and with different bits of footage and whatnot and turned it into Voltron and uh, um, you know Americanized it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it, it's harder for me to do um, independence because for the most part I was part of the main. The main two tiers, so I didn't really get into independent comics until the last, I want to say, four or five years ago. Well, even even if it's recent, I mean, uh, the whole thing is like, what would you say? Uh, what would you say is like, uh, like a uh, one of the, one of those independent comic books that uh, that you just say is like, this is awesome, and I wish more people knew about it. Um. I would have to say probably uh, Darum, Captain <laughs> of the Stars, 
And I'm not saying that just because you're here. He, he's, he's not saying that because he's paid to. He, he didn't pay me. This is extremely free. This is free advertising. Um, because you do have a certain voice with Darren, and you do have a certain way of making um, a story about space pirates something that no one else has seen or heard of. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you. Um, and, and and funny thing is, it's like I, I can't take complete credit for that because I, I, I actually uh, had a lot of the skills that I acquired um, had come from people that I look up to and admired. Um, you know, uh, I have to thank uh, Chad and uh, Chad Harden and, and Gabriel Ramirez for helping me refine my writing technique. Yeah. But a lot of the way I do write, um, you know, and, and I've, I've said this before in the last podcast, but uh, um, one of the ways I write is is, is uh, I was ins- I'm inspired a lot by Brian Gale Glass, and it's actually one of the reasons why I'm glad that I've gotten to know the guy. Yeah. Is because. Um, is because a lot of his writing style is something that I like and I actually even adapt to my stories. Um, and then also, another person I learned a lot from, and this is a, a, per, a creator that I think doesn't get enough credit, um, because he's done some really awesome stuff with Conan, he's done some really awesome stuff with Wolverine, but, uh, um, but Barry Windsor Smith. Uh, Barry Windsor Smith is somebody who I, uh, who I also picked up some writing techniques from because uh, I saw the way that he would do things. Um, one of the ways he, I liked that he did is like he'd have those he'd have those little caption boxes or, or narrators boxes or whatever they call them. You know, mm-hmm. I always call them caption boxes. Yeah. So, but anyway, um, but yeah, you have the little captions, and most people would use that for like narration. Yeah. I like the fact that he would use that as a way to basically do what the character was thinking, but you didn't do thought balloons because you know, and I'm not saying this to be insulting, but, the, but there are certain kind types of uh, comic books that thought balloons just end up looking a little silly. Um, so if you do the, the, what they're thinking in the caption box, it has a tendency to make it look a little bit more, um, what's, what's what I'm looking for? Well, a little bit more serious, a little yeah. bit more, um, uh, you know, you, you, you know, um, well, just, yeah, that, that kind of thing. Because when I um, think of thought bubbles, I think of reading comic strips like Garfield, Hagger the Horrible. Yeah. I, um, think, I think of more like when Garfield's thinking of something and talking to John, it's a yeah. thought bubble, it's not a narration. Uh, yeah, exactly, something like that. And, and when you're doing something, especially something um, that's action-oriented, and this one's going to strictly my opinion. No, when you're, you're doing something that's action-oriented, uh, the thought balloon has a tendency to make it look in my opinion a little silly yeah um more comical yeah than yeah actual, yeah like, and, comic book. And, and and so that's why i like the way that barry windsor smith set up with that i i use what the character's thinking i put that in the caption boxes and then that way you're still getting narration mm-hmm. but it's coming from the character's head yeah it's almost like it's their their innermost thoughts that um they're not speaking out outright because that's just them having some inner dialogue amongst themselves. Yeah. So, and that's what I'm saying. Is that that's what I have to say. Is uh, in, in in terms of how I write in my style, and and, and to answer your question about like uh, you, you know uh, about you know how uh, how how you like Darum and everything, and how I do that stuff is yeah. that uh, pretty much um, I just basically took the best of my my favorite. Uh, my favorite writers and other creators, and uh, just kind of 
put my own voice on that. That's awesome. In fact, <coughs> um, when people read um, numbers four and five and the rest of the series of Taxicab Joe, uh-huh. I've started dabbling in the uh, narration boxes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, like within the top of the page or something like that, because I've noticed if you have narration boxes, it gives it more of a, a serious vibe to it. Yeah. Um, you get to delve more into the character you're talking about more, and you give the audience more of an in-depth view mm-hmm. of the character, and they get to relate more to the character through the narration boxes. They get to learn more about them, mm-hmm. so that they get to care about them more, so that when they are in peril, they're like, Oh, shit! Not the- this guy! Why this guy? Well, but then, not only that, <laughs> but like, as I said, it's just I, I feel that... Um, it helps the tone. Um, like I said, you know, uh, certain certain things call for certain actions. Yeah. And and that's to me, that to me is just like if you have a certain kind of feel and tone to it, it's like that's you know what I'm saying. It's like, and then when you have like what the character's thinking in the caption boxes, like I said, which is what I do, um, I feel that it adds to sort of the narrative. Um, yeah. That that basically you're still getting narration. But this is narration coming to you straight from the character. Yeah. And so there... And what's interesting is I know a lot of people will disagree with me, but it's almost like um, the character is breaking fourth wall just to talk to the reader. Um, almost. Uh, the way I look at it is kind of like almost like when, when you read Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. And you have those series of journals that Jonathan Harker wrote. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like that's that's what I do, and in fact, in fact, that's the way I even approach it with those. Mm-hmm. I, I'm writing it as if um, as if the person is sort of like dictating their thoughts in a journal. Okay. Um, but then sometimes it's of the moment. Sometimes it's of the moment because sometimes I'll basically have what that person is thinking right at that very moment. So I mean, like, uh, so it does change a little bit. Like, uh, like, it's like with Darum, usually it's just exactly what they're thinking, almost as if they're dictating their thoughts on paper. But basically, that's exactly what they're thinking at that moment. But then there's a narrative arc that I use, which is said, which is similar to Bram Stoker's Dracula. When I do it in, uh, there's a there's a series I'm writing um, called Reiner Demon Vanquisher, and in that one. I, 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 I actually have the captions strictly written up just like Reiner's dictating this in his journal. Okay, so it's basically like you're reading what he would be saying in a journal. Exactly, exactly. And you're just, and then what the comic book's simply doing is just kind of adding to that effect. It's almost like as if this is what you're conjuring up and thinking in your head as he's writing this to you in his journal. Yeah. Like, like you're, you're thinking up these weird fantastical scenarios <laughs> um, you know just just by just by his words alone but that's what it's supposed to be set up like but as I said each comic book the way I approach it and any story is that it the narrative arc that I use or the narrative style that I use is just dependent on what I'm writing at the time you know um yeah because you don't use the same narrative for every type of story you no. you change it up no uh i said uh, um darum's supposed to have a more of an epic space pirate um kind of feel to it uh, very much in the vein of of old mangas and tv shows like captain harlock yeah um 
you know, um, Reiner Demon Vanquisher, as I mentioned previously, that's supposed to have a, a that's supposed to have a narrative feel to it, very much in the vein of the old Hammer horror movies, but intermixed with the Castlevania games. Um, and then, um, and then um, I actually, um, uh, I actually have a graphic novel I'm writing right now. Won't won't reveal it yet until I'm until I'm finished and I've got some stuff to uh, show people. You're good, but uh, but but it's a barbarian story and uh, but it's a it's a barbarian slash spoof story because it's very much got and I mean it's got a lot of blood and guts and everything in it, but then it's got an awful lot of hilarious slapstick humor as well. Okay. Um, and but the narrative I use for that one is kind of spoofing what they did in in Conan, um, especially in the movies, basically where you have this grand narrator like, yeah, he's like you're supposed to be hearing like a Mako like voice, mm-hmm. you know. But then but then what makes it even hilarious is that you got to picture him saying this ridiculous stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and so yeah, I, I just use what I feel. Is the appropriate kind of uh, 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 narration feel for every type of story that I do, um, but I said what it all comes down to, really, and I'd even had a discussion. Uh, well, not really a discussion, but him and I had uh, exchanged a few comments with each other. But uh, I'd, I'd talk with, I'd actually even talked with Brian Gelglass about it. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah, both him and I agreed that no matter what scenario you put your characters into. It's the characters getting through this journey that's the most important thing. Exactly. One thing that um, I understand, I know, I know you understand as well, is you never want to lose sight of your goal with your character. Mm-hmm. Like, it's okay if they go on, like, little side journeys every now and again um, for, you know, for hilarity purposes or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if they don't have a main goal in mind... Then why write the comic? Uh, and, and I find that to be uh, well. And, and once again, it depends on the the sort of narrative arc you're going for, and what kind of feel you're going for. Um, yeah, if you're if you're intending to make a long running uh, like a long running series, and it's got a very much a serious narrative arc to it, yeah, you have to establish what the goal is, what the point is, and why we're going on this journey. However, I've noticed in comedy, you don't have to do that so much. This is true. Um, if you're doing comedy, you can make it be as random as possible, and nothing actually even connects with each other. And people will still love it, because, but, but they can, because they always know that every story is self-contained, and that every story really has nothing to do with the other. Exactly. Now, I have a question about when you make your characters in different story arcs do certain things is it because it's something that you yourself would do have you had you been in that type of scenario well uh, the way i do it is uh, it just depends on the character and and what kind of personality i base them on um like in terms of in terms of uh, darum yeah he's very much uh an, an extension of myself um so most of the time, I, I usually think, how well, how would I react in this situation? Yeah. But then, but then sometimes, sometimes I'll actually want to do this. It's because since Darum not only is an extension of me, but he's also supposed to have traits that I lack. Sometimes I'll actually have him do like, okay, well, would I be scared in this situation? Well, then Darum's not going to be. 
Okay, um, so it's going to be flip-flopped of what you are. Uh, well, what I'm saying is, is basically a lot of his personality traits are mine. But then he also has things that I believe he's better at than me. Okay. Um, so, uh, but for the most part, yeah. I usually just think to myself, well, how would I react? And then I have Darren react that way. Um, but with some of the other characters, it just depends on who I base them on. Um, if I base it like on, if I base it on a friend or a family member, mm-hmm. then all I have to think is, well, how would that person react in this situation? And then I just have the character react that way. And then there's sometimes just scenes, and I'll totally admit this, that I just kind of throw uh, throw up on the fly. That uh, <laughs> that uh, that I just I just put that together and say, ah oh, man, wouldn't that just be cool to do that? And I just do it. That's, <laughs> that's good because that keeps the creative juices flowing, in knowing that you can be like that. You can throw those random scenarios out and still keep with the functionality of the story and it's okay uh, oh yeah well and and well, i posed the same question to you i mean uh, what about you i mean how how do you uh, how do you decipher how your characters are going to handle situations in your stories well a lot like how you do it i base it on real life and um uh, mostly like friends and stuff because I've I've had the backing of friends for literally decades. Uh-huh. And so when I built Joe's team, I thought, okay, who's had my back for the longest time? My friends. Mm. And so I based certain characters off of them. And I'm like, okay, this is how he would act during this scenario. Or this is how they would act during this scenario. And then I put them in a type of characteristic that I know that when someone reads the comic, they're like, ah, that's this fucker. They're like, ah, this is Jared, or like, this is Corey, or, you know, this is Corey's mom. I don't know why I would write her in, but it's whatever. (laughs) But it, you have to be creative, because that also means if you can write certain people into your narrative, that means that not only, A, have you studied them like crazy. Yeah. Not the stalkerish kind. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> but but also that you care about that person enough yeah. to have gotten to know them so well that when you do write them in, that that's like the perfect fit. Well, and I think and I think you would agree with this one is that I think it also gives the characters a feeling that they're more genuine because if you make up a character that is nothing like what you've known, nothing like what you're familiar with, and you're trying to make them completely alien to what you're familiar with, mm-hmm. that they're going to feel disingenuous yeah. because you've never experienced that thing, so you wouldn't know what it's like. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing is, is when you stick with what you know and you, you and you know a character's emotions, you know how a character thinks um, based on pretty much the person that you've based them on or, or, or something like that. You know, I think that it comes off as more genuine because then people will be like, oh, yeah, well, that's true because that's that's totally happened before. I know I know the person would feel this way because I felt this way. Yeah. With the Thousand Planet War with uh, Joe in Taxi Cab Joe, yeah. the reason I'm writing it the way I am and why I have all these millions and billions of aliens coming towards Joe is because I'm writing it how you and I have felt literally our whole lives growing up, we're these outcasts that love the certain things that we do, and then we have this barrage of the world that's coming at us, Uh making fun of us, going against us, beating us down, and we have to fight against them just to stay above water to basically shout, no, this is who I am, fuck you, 
I'm going to stay who I am regardless of how many people try to beat me down. Well, yeah, and, and well, and I think that's a timeless, uh, I think that's a timeless kind of theme for uh, for many things. Is that uh, ba- basically, um, you know, uh, I, you know, I won't, I won't be, uh, I, I, I won't be oppressed. I won't be stamped on. You know, um, I, yeah. won't, I won't be snuffed out. You know. <laughs> Um, I will, I will stand on my own and, you know, and I will, and I will fight the powers that be should they choose, should they choose to go against, well, should they choose to go against who I am and what I want to do. Exactly. That's public enemy reference, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, well, you know, I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not totally out of sync, but... (laughs) But then again, considering how old Public Enemy is, maybe it does mean I'm out of sync. <laughs> this is very true. Um, but uh, but but either way, I'm just I just think they're timeless story narratives. Really, um, the thing is is that uh, the thing is is that most people like to hear the story of of the the individual who stands up for what they believe in. Yeah, uh, that that's a universal thing. I you know I don't think it's specific to any ethnicity, any gender, no. any uh, any country. Um, I, I I think it's it's universal. It's a human thing, mm-hmm. and I think that um, that that human beings that all of us inevitably like to hear the story of the person who stands up in the face of adversity, uh, in the face of adversity, and basically says, "No, I'm doing what I want to do." You can you can't force me to see the world that the way you see it. Yeah. Now I'm gonna ask a really really deep question because <laughs> I feel that it needs to be asked. You mean we haven't gone deep already? No no no. We're just kind of swimming in the kiddie pool right now. <laughs> with the characters that we write, and with the almost a taboo type scenarios we put our characters in is there any type of scenario that you wouldn't put your character in well once again it depends on what kind of story i'm writing um i know that i know that with darum i'd never put him in a uh, i i I'd, I'd never i never put him in a situation that made him contrary to his character yeah um now I can't name specific events because I actually I even do have a I do have a funny story I have him in but here's the thing he's still true to himself he's still a serious character it's the other characters that are funny you know kind of like with the Darum Zodiac crossover um, but um, but then uh, but then I'll, like let me put it this way you'll never see Darum like like wearing a chicken suit okay? yeah that that's just, it would just be too ridiculous <laughs> you know. You'll uh, you'll never you'll never see you, you know you'll never see uh, uh, Darum doing those ridiculous things. If somebody's doing ridiculous things, it's usually people around him. Him himself, no, you'll never see him, see them that. Um, so uh, so, so th- there's that, and but then but then you know um, but then there's even like uh, like certain characters that are even a little bit more on the silly slapstick side that I have written. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't put them in maybe like a big operatic epic. <laughs> True. Yeah. So to me, it just depends on what kind of character have I written and what kind of scenarios have I meant them for. Okay. Now, before we close this podcast, is there any are there any special announcements that you'd like to make for the upcoming months? Well, most of what people know, um, I will let people know this. Um, 
that Monsters on the Run number two is now um, on Kickstarter. Yes, you can you can you can get your pre-orders in. It's it's a five hundred dollar Kickstarter, just like Five Star Number Two was, which by the way was also successfully funded. But I believe we went over that in the last podcast. Yes. Um, Monsters, yeah, Monsters on the Run number two, definitely worth it. Done by Mark Swan. I once again want to reemphasize this man was most likely an important part of your childhood, and you didn't even know it. I mean, this guy has worked on Thunder the Barbarian, and it, you know, Thunder the Barbarian had its a good, sizable talent on it too. Exactly. I mean, the character concepts were done by Jack the King Kirby. <laughs> if you don't know who Jack Kirby is and you're in comics, you need to fucking kick yourself. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, and, then, uh, and, well, and, and then even some of the story scenarios were written by Roy Thomas, who'd written some of the co- comic books of Conan the Barbarian. Um, and he'd even written the screenplay to the movie Fire and Ice. Yeah. Yes. Um, and anyway, but then Mark Swan, he's also Mark Swan, he's also worked with Don Blue Studios. He worked from them worked with them from the mid eighties, clear all the way to the early nineties. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's worked for Disney, he's worked for Warner Brothers. It's like you know, I mean the, the dude worked on the dude worked on things like a goofy movie and Space Jam, okay? And if you don't know those movies, you do need to kick yourself. Exactly, because yeah. those are iconic movies. Those yeah. are those are childhood movies, and if you didn't see, you had a sheltered fucking childhood. So, so either way, <laughs> this is why it's a big deal. You need to check out Monsters on Run Number Two because it's really awesome. Because I mean, uh, Mark Swan, what he does is he takes classic monsters from the classic horror movies, and he does and he does it in a way that almost feels like an homage to your childhood. And we've also got another Kickstarter happening next week, June fifteenth. I'm yes. so excited. Yes. Brian J.L. Glass, as we've mentioned before, yes. is running his comic book out of our company. It's Candace Lark is Furious, and it's going to be, we're going to be starting the Kickstarter for that next week. Now, I am extremely excited. I haven't read anything by Brian J.L. Glass, and I'm kicking myself in the nuts for it, because, because apparently... This guy is paramount in the comic industry, and the fact that I have just barely gotten to even hear the guy just makes yeah. me embarrassed as a comic writer. No, don't feel too, don't feel completely <laughs> bad because I, no, I educated you with some stuff. You did, you did. <laughs> which I appreciate the shit out of that. Uh, yeah. So the whole thing is to say, and I would I would tell people this too, same as I was mentioning with Mark Swan, with Brian Jail Glass. If you don't know who he is. You look him up, you check out his stuff. Especially look up his stuff he did with Mice Templar. That stuff is actually pretty epic. It's like, think of Game of Thrones, but on a smaller scale. <laughs> no pun intended. No pun intended, actually. Actually, the pun is intended. Very intended. <laughs> now, one more thing. I gotta stress July. I really yeah. do, because I'm, I'm, I'm excited for Furious, but July... I'm so fucking excited. Dare I'm gonna number be buy- four. Yes, Dare number four. I'm going to be buying that goddamn thing as soon as it hits shelves. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be like the first one that you sell a fucking well, copy I, to. Um, and once again, I don't want to give away too much to everybody, but I will tell them this is that because every great story has it, every great sci-fi has it, every great action movie has it, Prison Break. Yes. I will say that. You're gonna one thing you're gonna one thing you're gonna look forward to in issue number four of Darum is a prison break. Exactly, and in fact, number three of Taxi Cab Joe is a type of prison break. I'm 
really not trying to give too much away, but mm -hmm. that's basically what it is. It's basically a yeah. it's a rescue mission. Exactly. And, and, you, and you'll figure that out when you read Tax Gap Joe number two that's coming out in Dece this December. But I'm not giving too much else away because I just got page five of Tax Gap Joe number two. Holy titties. It's friggin' awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, as far, in terms of announcements, I think that's pretty much what we got going. Um, we'll announce more once we know it. Sounds amazing. You guys have a wonderful night. And Jared, as always, it was a pleasure. All right, have a good one.